Welcome back to the Charlotte Angel Connection, the Charlotte area podcast linking entrepreneurs, investors, and the broader Charlotte community. As you know, our goal here is to interview the individuals who are building, shaping, and influencing entrepreneurship in the Charlotte region so you can stay invested in Charlotte's growth. Today, we've got a um, we've got a quasi-Charlotte business. Um, we've got Daniel Goldman, Daniel's co-founder of Turnio. They are blockchain um, a payments solution. Um, Daniel's based out of, um, out of the Atlanta area and his co-founder Ian Kane is based here in Charlotte. Um, they've been up and running since 2017. First product to the market was, um, the block card, um, great little card for using cryptocurrency, uh, for payments, right? So really fun, interesting interview with Daniel today. Um, you'll, you know, mention it during the interview, but you'll pick on it, up on it really quick. Got a nice founder mentality, clearly sharp guy, um, understands business, um, has confidence, um, and has the ability to execute on it. So, you know, it's, it's going to be really fun business to, to watch over the course of the next couple of years. They've got, um, they've got profitability. And oftentimes when we hear profitability, we think somebody's making a hundred thousand dollars, not taking a salary on the business side. And that's not the case. They, you know, as you'll learn, they did $7 million in revenue in 2020. Um, so, you know, they're growing at a nice pace. Um, they've got some good opportunities ahead of them. They're going to do a reggae raise in 2021. Um, and so it's going to be a fun business to stay on top of locally as to what they do, but I think nationally is how they start to, or how they continue to, uh, disrupt, um, really the fintech community. So anyways, really hope you enjoy the interview with Daniel today. I thought he did a great job and really excited to follow him and Ian and their business over the course of the next decade or so. So thanks for listening again to another um, podcast on the Charlotte Angel Connection. All right, Daniel, welcome to the show, man. I'm glad to I'm glad to get this thing kicked off. We've talked a little bit the last couple of weeks and I'm excited about this interview. We're gonna have fun today. Yeah, we are. Thanks for having me. So uh 60 second commercial on who Daniel is. You're in Atlanta. So, you know, more than half of our listeners know your name. I've seen you on LinkedIn or whatever, but uh, uh, let us know who you are real quick. Yeah. I mean, so I'm CEO and co-founder of Turnio. We're an enterprise blockchain company focused on providing interoperability between cryptocurrencies and the traditional fintech, you know, banking industry. Right. So I think all things are heading that way. Background on me, I made my kind of cut my teeth on just, running businesses, right? 20 plus years, public, private management, uh, regional vice president. I've run 50, $60 million worth of business on my PL. I've hired over 500 people in my life. And my skill set is really just, you know, management, making sure we're spending less money than we're making, um, coaching, hiring, training, developing, sales. It, you know, when you're CEO of a, of a, of a startup, you got to be able to do everything. That's my background. That's how we, how we got here. So you say the magic word blockchain. Um, what, uh, so I mean, blockchain's what, 10, 12 years old. It's despite the fact it's 10, 12 years old, it seems, um, it seems like nobody really knows or what it is. Um, to you, what is blockchain, right? Tell us, tell us what we're dealing with here when we talk about what you're doing. So not to correct you, but blockchain actually was created in like 1995, 1996. All right, so I've been wrong before. Don't tell anybody, but, it, but, but I've been but wrong. The first use case was Bitcoin, and they didn't. And the creator of blockchain didn't call it blockchain. And what it was was a, a different kind of internet. The creators. So the the creators of Bitcoin put together this beautiful solution, incorporating blockchain technology to solve a problem, right? Which is to have a decentralized money. And all all blockchain really is, and why it's going to be so transformational for what we in FinTech, I mean, it's gonna be really dis disruptive, is, is it's a different technology rail. So if you think about all the rails and payments and banking, ACH wire, push to car, debit, all these different kinds of rails, blockchain is effectively a peer-to-peer -peer rail that lets you move money and it doesn't mean Bitcoin, it can be Bitcoin, but it can just be digital dollars. So I think what we're talking about is that the future of all money, at least in the near term, certainly I think five years, we're gonna see central banks issuing their currencies using existing monetary policy on a blockchain rail. And that's gonna be a cheaper, better, faster, sort of money as software solution that's gonna allow for smart startups 
to compete with the largest fintech gatekeepers in the world. That's what it is. So when you say they're going to do that, the first thing I think of is somebody's going to fall and somebody's going to rise. Yes. Um, who falls in a in in that world, right? Well, tell me, a lot. Don't Indian. tell me Wells Fargo. Well, well, here's okay. Oh, you're gonna love it. Yeah. <laughs> you know who's gonna Wells Fargo? No, um, you know, actually, I got a couple answers. I, I think of it in terms of different buckets. I think that. Western Union is the, you're talking about a guy who worked at Blockbuster Video for 10 years, okay? He come, came up in that, in that company when I was young. Western Union is the Blockbuster Video of the industry. They're overpriced. They have um, convenience built on brand and location. And at some point, their, their advantages were insurmountable, but technology is going to make those advantages a noose around their neck. So that's one bucket of companies that is going to really have a problem, in my opinion, disintermediating their business model, disintermediating their entire business. Then I would be very concerned about, so the banking industry at large is going to have a real problem. Now, if you're USAA, you're going to be fine. USAA is huge. They've been doing digital banking, mobile banking for forever. For decades, there's, I mean, I, I'm from Texas, they have one location and it's, it work, it's huge, but it, you know, they don't fundamentally operate based upon retail locations. And I think that the banks that are going to have the biggest problems are the ones that are going to, it's like unwinding the trade. It's unwinding out of, how do you unwind out of a thousand physical locations? Because you've got payroll, you've got physical locations that bricks and mortar, you've got con commercial real estate contracts. There's a lot of moving parts there that becomes this sort of downward spiral that you're going to have to take this hit on the books. Meanwhile, while Wells Fargo, who, by the way, the CEO of Wells Fargo has already said, we need to be a technology company. And boy, does he have it right. It's going to take several years to unwind out of the old strategy of banking at your local neighborhood next door, go physically walk in and hand the teller some money. That banking is on, it's already been on its way out. And who's going to rise is going to be basically these, you hear Neobank, but really it's like what we're kind of like is like a Neobank on blockchain. We're actually, we're a Neobank platform because we're not just focused on our own brand. We're focused on facilitating success for other companies to become their own bank. Okay. So let's talk about that. Turnio is your startup. You've been, you've had it, you started it in 17 or 18? Officially 2018, but really unofficially 2017. So what do you, um, where do you fit in this rise and fall? I mean, obviously you're rising, not falling. Um, that's why we're talking today. We're not going to make it till next month. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that's, it's December 16th. So you only got what, 15 days left. So, <laughs> um, <Time or> tough. <laughs> yeah. Um, so no, I mean, like, where do you, where do you, where do you stand? What do you, what, how, uh, what part of the industry are you first disrupting? Well, the three buckets I think of it is the crypto industry is, is like a specialty solution for crypto. The second bucket is money transfer, Western union transfer remit, you know, those guys that are moving money cross border. And the third bucket is just general banking services. Okay. And so where this comes in is a lot of people, it, it's scary how many banks are afraid of cryptocurrency. Because when, when I say crypto, they hear Bitcoin. Yeah. When I say crypto, what I actually mean is value that is on a peer-to-peer -peer technology rail. That's what it is. It's it's the digital dollar, which by the way is the world's most is the, the most traded cryptocurrency in the world. Is a dollar. It is. It's it doesn't fluctuate. So now imagine a world where. I can send funds. I don't need a third party. I don't have to pay them their fee and their blood money. So now you're going to have competition in the marketplace, which is going to reduce margins because we're talking about money as software. That's the scary part if I'm an existing player in the fintech industry with a lot of debt probably. There's a lot of players in the, in the ecosystem have a lot of debt. And I want to send money to somebody in France or South Africa or Australia. Here's what we're going to be able to do. And this is why it should scare the shit out of everybody. Blank that out if you need to. I'm good. You send, you, you literally in a matter of two seconds or four seconds, I can send a billion dollars. I can send a thousand dollars. I can send a dollar for no cost 
across the world or down the street, which is already faster than, you know, I mean, carrier pigeon is faster than ACH right now, okay? You're in Charlotte, I could literally take my little trained carrier pigeon, strap some money around its neck, send it to Charlotte from Atlanta, and it would get the money faster than via ACH. Right, yeah, absolutely It would right. only cost seeds or maybe some bird feed. So <laughs> it's, it's also efficient economically. Yeah. So I'll be able to send money across the world, consumer remittance or just payments and invoicing without any of the wire fees, without any of the transfer fees, without any of the time problems. I can literally be like, oh, I just sent it. And they're like, yep, I got it, done. So that is a huge transformation for what we currently have and what we're dealing with. And what that's going to mean is if you if your business model is predicated around fee structure, around uh, you know wires and ACHs and being the money man that's going to make the money on, in between, you're going to have to figure out, and there's a lot of ways to make money in, in this new world, but you're going to have to basically compete on services and offer new services. And, and I would be very concerned. It's going to affect lending. It's going to affect a lot of parts of the whole banking model. And that's going to really put a lot of pressure on them economically. So what, well, I don't need a lot of money to survive. And I keep taking more and more and more market share in this organic growth of like a little organic beast. It becomes big at some point. It becomes too big to kill in its crib, right? We're already too, too big to kill in our crib because we're already profitable. So now if you're a Western Union and you've got to meet a certain threshold with the stock, you know, stock market, you've got a real conundrum on your hands because you might be making billions of dollars, but it's not where you are today. It's where you're going to be in two or three or five years. And I'd say that, that that's where I'd be really concerned if I was in that more legacy kind of technology solution for anything in banking or money in any way. So you talk about no fees and, um, um, I mean, essentially no fees, right? So, you know, first thing that comes to my mind, you've already said it's not the case, but the first thing that comes to my mind, you're a nonprofit, right? I mean, how do you, but you're not, you're profitable, right? You want yeah, to be profitable. Sure. So how do you, how do you make money? Yeah. So, so there's a difference between what it costs and what you charge. Okay. And the fact that it costs nothing, nearly nothing, means that I can charge less. So, Today, if I need to move money in the payment system that is constructed, I've got to go through pre-approved gatekeepers. So I've got to go through and get permission from the bank. Is the bank willing to accept what I'd like to do? And then they charge me, they got their four pages of fees. I already told you my little idea of what a commercial would look like for us in the future. It's going to be hilarious if I can get my co-founder to sign off on it. I don't know but, if you'll get compliance to sign off on it, but that's okay. Yeah, Maybe another day. I, I push the boundaries, but it, yeah. but it makes the point that banking is complicated. And the reason people have don't feel like, yeah, that's John, my banker, is because nobody feels like there's um, a, a shared commitment on, uh, it's not a two, two-way street. It's a, here's your, here's your four pages of fees. We're going to, you know, put a lot of fine print in there. And there's, it's not really like transparent for consumers. It's not simple. And I think that some of the, the newer, I mean, PayPal does a better job of that. Uh, a Stripe does a better job of that. Sort of like the, the, the newer, uh, larger FinTechs have done a much better job competing in the marketplace through simplicity and transparency. I think if you take that sort of model and philosophy, and then you add in lower cost structure, money as software, I think it's gonna be painful for the old legacy types. So we're still gonna make money, we're just gonna be able to compete in a marketplace without having to get approval from a gatekeeper in order to do so. Okay, so um, it makes sense. Um, we'll continue to explore that in a minute. You've come out, or was um, your first product, your first out of the door product was a was a block card, right? Block Is that card. correct? Yep, trademarked. So, true. Um, so how does that work? I mean, and I guess let's go back. Let's, let's take it as we're going to start talking about the black card. Let's talk about the infancy of the business. Um, how did it come to mind? Well, it's funny. It was an iteration. Um, like so many other successful companies that have made their way in time, we started focusing on the use of blockchain technology, which is, uh, we won't spend, we could spend hours talking about the, you know, blockchain technology and what it can do, we were focused on scalability because blockchain is inherently slow in many cases because there's different kinds of blockchains and we wanted to solve a, a problem around scalability. We built that. But 
the marketplace and enterprise was still focusing on proper use cases. They didn't even need a fast blockchain. They just needed to figure out how the hell do we use it and what's the proper circumstance. So if, if we didn't make a pivot, then we would have been basically, you know, bleeding out in the streets because we wouldn't have made it. We would have been waiting for these large companies that were like, oh, we like it, but like, they, don't, they don't make decisions quickly. The block card was one page in our white paper and all it was really focused on is a simple concept. And the concept is if digital assets are cheaper, better, faster as a technology rail, how the hell am I supposed to use them in my day-to-day -day life? Because I can't go to Walmart and say, here's my Bitcoin or here's my digital dollar take my digital dollar Walmart, they don't do that. And so what Blockcard did was it was a very simple way. We have a Visa card in the US and we have other cards going around the world. We're going in Europe and Latin America and other places. And what it effectively was is if you've got Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies, then you can, in five minutes, you can fund your account. You can set up an account like an email account, fund your account, do KYC, get a virtual card that plugs into your phone, you're paying for things in store in five minutes. There is no bank today that you can have a fully functioning card product fully funded in five minutes. It doesn't exist, but we we're able to do that and we're able to make it super convenient for people who are in crypto. So we solved a problem for people who have a, a problem in crypto because otherwise their alternative was, and it's gotten better now, but there used to be a lot less competition in, in, in the crypto space when it came to exchanges. You have to go through a centralized exchange. And I always said that, so people talk about, especially in crypto, people are like, they really hate the banks. Boy, do they hate the banks. And, you know, and if, you know, the history of Bitcoin is the very first transaction had an FU in there, basically. It was a one, was an article from a British uh, newspaper talking about how the banking system just imploded on itself. And this was in 2009. It was relating to a 2008 story. So people in crypto are not very friendly to or fond of the banking system, right? But what they were trading in the, in the enemy that they thought of as the banking system, they traded for a worse enemy in the centralized exchanges that were actually charging customers significantly more money. So Coinbase made a killing. They were kind of the only game in town. If you wanted a clean, good user interface and all of that, they were very successful. But now there's a lot more competition in that space and it's easier to get your money in and out. So what we came up with as a solution was a cheaper, better, faster way kind of get out of your cryptocurrency instead of having to use a centralized cryptocurrency exchange. So they load, so PayPal just launched a, um, a card, right? Um, but not a card, not a card. PayPal didn't launch a card. But they, so they, they launched a payment platform using crypto. Is that essentially what it was? But it's different from y'all's, right? Y'all have a, you have a card, you can load, I mean, um, so talk about, I mean, I, I guess I won't talk for you because you'll do a better job than I do. Talk about your difference between what y'all offer and what PayPal just announced October, 2020. Yeah, so we're very welcoming of it. And PayPal is a behemoth in their own right, of course. And I think that they're a scary, scary company because, and I mean that in a positive way and as a compliment because they really know what they're doing. They're um, able to compete in a very nimble way. And the fact that they moved into crypto, Bitcoin specifically was, and actually five cryptos, was smart. They did a smart, and what they did is they created a closed loop system that didn't get them in trouble with the regulators, that let them have time to kind of absorb and understand the ecosystem, but gave them a, a stepping stone into the, uh, the next thing, the next iteration. So step one was you can buy or you can buy Bitcoin on our platform. You can't transfer it. You can't, it doesn't leave the ecosystem. You can buy it. And if, if Bitcoin goes up and you want to sell it, you can sell it to us too. So you can buy and sell from them, but you won't lose it. Grandma can interact with PayPal. It's very simple. It's a good thing. It, it, it educates people. PayPal is the gateway drug for crypto. They're the mainstream adoption that, that Cash App was already doing. And it's, I'd say it's a very good thing, especially if you like Bitcoin, because it's more people having access to the ability to purchase Bitcoin in an easy way, in a friendly way. Now, step next, sort of phase two for them is they're going to say in a smart way, they're going to say, okay, well, we have your Bitcoin. We're still going to maintain controls over it because they're, they're trying to figure out the regulatory stuff. Fine, because that's a lot of challenges. And if you want to use the value of your Bitcoin, then you can pay for things that any of these merchants using the Bitcoin. Now, that's genius because none of it involves a car. Although I guess it could because they have cards too. But it's really about like you've got this Bitcoin balance and then you want to send some Bitcoin to pay using their PayPal network. 
and you can use these funds because all they got to do, it's so simple. All they got to do is take the Bitcoin that has a value and sell it on an exchange instantly and they're done. So it's very, very smart what they're trying to do. And that doesn't, yeah, it's competitive, but it's competitive in the same way that Burger King's philosophy when they were competing against McDonald's was not to, because McDonald's was everywhere and they were the chain, was they decided they were going to open up a Burger King next to every McDonald's that they could. They didn't try to refine one a mile and a half away. And no, they just set up shop right next to McDonald's because they assumed if you're going to go to McDonald's, you're going to see Burger King and maybe you'll pick Burger King. You know, it's, it's like you see it right off the road. And I think that in that way, it's beneficial to us because it's, yeah, they're com competitive, but it, it, sometimes in some ways for a rising industry, it's like all that is a rising tide lifts all boats. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's good. Um, and, and where it's different from us is we're never going to compete with PayPal uh, or JP Morgan Chase head to head uh, like the British with their, you know, 100,000 people in the in an army in an open field and we're going to be stupid rebellion that's going to sit out in the field waiting for them to shoot at us. Like that's not going to happen. We have to compete asymmetrically in the marketplace. So PayPal being here is fine, but they're focused on PayPal and eating, gobbling up everything they can. And we're going to compete asymmetrically by helping to build other brands and building a global platform, competing at them in every which way. That's that's where our values come in. So talk to me about how you're going to do that then, right? So how are you going to um, how are you going to build out or how how are you building out that network? Because you're already doing it. Um, it's not like you're starting today. Well, I'm proud of what we've done. Number one, I think that the, a really good thing that kind of helps send a signal to the marketplace is that we're a Visa Fast Track partner. What does that mean? So what it means is right now there are 12 card issuing um, Visa Fast Track enablement partners, Green Dot, Stripe, Galileo, I2C, Cross River Bank, NetSpend. They're like titans in the industry in, in fintech. Many of them are multi-billion dollar companies. Galileo's got bought for one point, whatever, three billion from Sophie, SoFi. And we're basically in this, you know, elite club of, ish, of, of card issuers. And we're very proud of that because we're the only crypto-centric one. I was gonna say, how many of the other ones are crypto-centric? None. Now, a couple of them will play around the edges. They'll do a little of this, they'll do a little of that. But at the end of the day, like we're a full-fledged, like, it's the equivalent of, I mean, this is probably not the best example, but this is like the equivalent of like, you know, if you think about what was it, um, the creator of uh, Lamborghini and how much care and attention they gave to the specific nature of what a Lamborghini was and did. It wasn't built to compete with Chevrolet for your everyday man, right? I, you know, it, eventually you could take that same uh, engine and you can maybe, you could do, you know, something that would create, that would compete with Chevy down the line. But at the end of the day, that was their focus. And that was what their niche was. And that's where they were special. We're special because we have a full-fledged like blockchain ecosystem. We do everything from plugging into custodial services and we can interchange any different kind of cryptocurrency. No one can do that right now. We can do that. So we, we're really, really, really good at our craft. And I think that's what makes us unique. And so what Visa will do is they'll say, hey, we have these fintechs that have been approved through us. We would like to, and some of you will know some great brands you'll be hearing about. And we'd like to get them live in the market with a Visa card. And then they'll introduce those companies to Turnio and Turnio will help, you know, bring those companies to market. So that's, and so between the part one is, okay, we're very proud of that because it's very humbling because it, it, it's something that says, okay, we are a serious player in, in, in that space. But the second part is this expansion of, as you said, we're expanding our geography. And I think the platform that we're building is gonna, it should scare people. It's, it's not scaring people yet because they haven't seen it. And I'm quite the talker, but I will tell you that, you know, so sometimes that undermines my message because sometimes it seems more bravado than substance. But I will say that um, there's substance behind everything we say. And the things that we've got in the works right now um, are, are, I think, are very innovative and we are moving quickly and we are very ambitious. So whatever our competitors are doing, we're doing that and more, I assure you. And I think when people start to find out in 2021 and they see what the, we already transformed our business in 2020 and, and our growth was incredible. And I think our growth will continue down that trend. But when, you, when people hear about what the hell we're doing for 2021, it's going to freak people out. And eventually, they're going to say, 
how the hell did they do that? And how do they stay underneath the surface for so long without getting, you know, hammered? And I think we'll get to the point to where when people on, on a apples to apples basis, and I've got customers, it's already happening today, but on a real apples to apples basis, people are going to say, okay, well, I could use Marketa or Stripe or Galileo or whatever, Antonio. And, and I think we're going to be as competitive or more competitive than them. And that sh and, and they have a lot of resources, a lot of, a lot of advantages by, by far, but we have, we have our own advantages too. And we're going to try to leverage our own advantages while they'll continue to leverage their own advantages. And, and hopefully we'll be kicking some ass, even though that doesn't mean we're putting Stripe out of business any, in any time, but, but we'll make our own market. And I think we'll do it in a way that's going to be special. I'm assuming you're not going to, um, you're not going to do me the, the honor and favor of telling everybody what your 21 uh, plans are on my podcast today already. I want to tell you if I can't, but I will say that the stuff that we have already put in motion, the domino, the first domino has already, has already been you know, plucked over. And I am really excited when we get to share what is coming and it's going to be very, very powerful in multiple ways. So we, and the good thing is because we're profitable, we're not, you know, we weren't actually VC backed. We we've decided, hey, we, you know, we need to run a business that makes money. <laughs> like, it's a concept you might have heard of, not mostly among fintechs, but we certainly have adopted that philosophy, and it's given us a lot of um, of control and the ability to be like organically strong, right? Organically strong, not undercut by our own anything. We basically can kind of write our own rules, and we're prepared for a very strong 2021. So you say fintech profitability, I think two people in a room um, making $10, not paying themselves, right? <laughs> I think it's up to salary now. Although I will say, we're so hungry. The first two years, Ian and I, my co-founder, we didn't take a salary for two years because that's what it takes. Because that's what it takes. You do whatever it takes to be successful. And we sacrificed and we put everything on the line. Uh, Ian sold his house, moved to Charlotte, you know, where you, you, know, where you are. And... We did the things that we had to do to sacrifice and it's paid off. So now I, I don't have to hear from my wife yelling at me why, why we don't have you know, salary and all of that. It takes a lot of weight off. We've doubled the size of our team. We're now- How many folks you got now? You got 25? 25 people. Okay. How many of those are engineering based? Most, uh, well, half. Okay. Half. Yeah, we have a few. We have, almost tech, you know, we have some, like customer service folks. We have a couple marketing, but mostly real, really, really technology focused and very engineer focused. So was profitability a focus out of the gate? Was that really something you wanted to get? To? <laughs> your, yeah. your, your wife's in the back room jumping up and down and yelling, yes. <laughs> you know, I'm lucky because I've done a few, I've done a few um, startups that were very successful. So yeah. I'm lucky from the standpoint of I actually had, uh, I had passive income coming in just from, this is not Investment. my first rodeo, you yeah. know? And so I was, I was good in that way. Otherwise, I really wouldn't have had the opportunity but we were rushing to profitability because we needed a sustainable model. We didn't have the $5 million in the bank that we could like, don't worry, we'll figure out the business model later. And I think for all the hard work that it is, it does focus you, you know, it does create focus and it may be hard and maybe most people don't make it through that. But if you can get through that gauntlet, you are lean and mean and focused. And so from the standpoint of, we have a lot of money in the bank, a lot of money. We maintain cash reserves for the last, since July. Well, first of all, our cash balance increased all the way from January to July. And in July, we said, okay, we've got this much money in the bank and we more or less don't want to go below that threshold. It's a, it's a good sufficient amount. We know it's like being ugly in high school and then you become this beautiful, you know, whatever. And then not saying we're beautiful, but you know, and then you always feel ugly. It always sticks with you. You're the brave space kid with the glasses and the, the Afro hair, right? Uh, whatever. And I'll say that we're always going to be thinking like we are poor, even though we have more than enough money to do what we need to do, because we're always, we're still in that. We're not too fat and, you know, we're hungry, Yeah. right? And so profitability is a central focus of us managing our, our core business. And we make, we have, we make more money every month. We say, okay, got a little bit more money. Where are we going to allocate that? We're going to put it into marketing. We're going to hire another res a dev. We're going to do this or that. It's funny. Um, you know, Rob Cummings with Deal Cloud here in Charlotte, um, or I don't know if you do or not, but um, Rob's been on the podcast, uh, involved in the financial community, fintech community for a number of years. 
um, and deal cloud as a startup back in 2012. It was one of the things And when we did our podcast, I don't know if he used the word keeping you focused, but if he didn't use the word, it was damn near the same thing. Right. So, um, no, it's true. I mean, focusing on profitability keeps the business. It does a lot of good things for it. So if you don't starve, <laughs> yeah. so yeah. it, it also hinders the business some in scalability, right? So you need sure. more and more money from in order to grow the business. So at some point in time, you have to figure out a way to pour gasoline on the fire and to move the business to the next stage. Um, so how do y'all, how do y'all move into that? What are you, um, what are you going to do? How are you going to pour gas on the fire? Well, we're always putting more money into marketing for sure. And our main, and one of the benefits of Ian and myself, uh, Ian more than myself, but both of us in different ways have a, have a background in knowing how to effectively use digital media for marketing. Okay. So, so we've always continually in, in reinvested funds back into marketing. Um, we are organically growing very quickly, right? So give me an example. This year, we will probably see a 450% revenue increase versus last year. We're gonna do over $7 million this year in revenues. Um, we're projecting next year, 20 million. And I think that's conservative because it doesn't factor in a lot of things you're planning on doing. It's not built on the, well, if we do this right perfectly and we do that right perfectly, we do this perfectly, we can get to that number. It's really based upon if we do this one thing and not all this other stuff, we're gonna get to 20 million. That's that's kind of our, our trajectory at this point. So our growth has been very good. And I will say that in like, in a, I'll give you a competitor. So like BitPay, right? BitPay was the first to their credit, the crypto debit card. And they have two different things. They do merchant payment processing and, and they're gonna, they have a debit card too. They were the only game in town if you wanted a, a debit card. And so there's no competition to kind of force you to have a better product. BitPay, they were, um, they weren't necessarily very innovative in, in what they were doing, right? Um, and I'd say they were that, first to market. Uh, they were, they were first to market. Yeah, right? innovation was first to market. They were right. the Exactly. And so the fact that we have, I think, come up with a better, in my opinion, of course, I'm, I'm you know, biased. But we come up with a better be. product. It's like a next generation product. And it, it's, it's the thing that people want. And I think we found the right product market fit. And it's put us in a position to where we said, okay, well, there's an opportunity here. And it gave us an opportunity to kind of step in and make a lot of money in a way that we wouldn't have had somebody else stepped in and, and done what we've been doing. Yeah. But you're going to raise money too, right? So your future has you raising cash to help grow the business in a scalable fashion. That's right. So we're doing a reg A. We've always found. So define reg A, help us out for a second. Walk us through it real quick. You know, so. a lot of people will go to the, 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 your series A and they'll go through this VC round. And look, we had somebody early in when we were in past the seed stage, we had a little bit of seed money, very little. And we had uh, one of the largest blockchain cryptocurrency um, VCs in the, in the world come to us and, and they wanted to invest in us a million dollars, right? And then the deal terms were so not founder friendly at all. And I'm all about protecting the investor. Like I'm a big believer. Like I try to look at it from the, the investor's point of view. If you're gonna invest money, you need to get whole first. But if we make you money, we need to all make money together. And those were not the terms. And I think a lot of founders, take terms that are not really fair to them and then they get screwed. And so we said, no, thanks. We tried to negotiate it, but we said, no, thanks. We're not going to do that. And it, it, it all blew up. And so we went through the Reg CF, which is effectively, it's an SEC approved um, funding uh, submission, right? You're, you're saying we're going to raise up to it. They just increased it to 5 million, but it was 1.07 million was the max. So Reg CF, minimal cost for you to do that. And you basically go to market and, and anybody accredited or non-accredited can come in and they can, you're saying, here are the deal terms. Here's the offer and people will sign on to that offer. It's public. It's an SEC offering. The Reg A is, is, is one step removed from a public, a full public offering like you would see with an IPO. We spent a lot of money already while maintaining our cash flow um, and doing an audit, an internal audit, which we're going through right now, or I should say an independent audit. We have uh, a securities attorney that submitted our 1A circular. It is working in there. We have to go back and forth with the SEC. So literally, 
Uh, that process allows for an accredited and non-accredited, you can raise up to 50 million, although we're only raising 12 million on a $60 million valuation, but it allows us to go direct to the marketplace as a public offering so that anyone, funds, VCs, or ever, we say, here's the offer, here's the deal, take it or leave it, as opposed to VCs trying to negotiate us into terms that are not, I'm all about, like I said, I want something that's going to be a square deal for the investor, but it's got to be something that's fair on the upside too. So we, we, we really prefer going to the marketplace. And oh, by the way, the cool thing we found is not only are we tapping into a great revenues or a stream of uh, investment and, and, you know, giving us more capital to do big things and, you know, deliver on our mission, but also these are future customers too. These are people who are like, I like that. I'm into crypto. I'm going to buy, I'm going to get into the block card or, you know, it's, 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 it's also giving us more generation of, of customers. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. naturally a way to extend your brand. 100%. So it's perfectly aligned. You know, we're not selling shoes, although that will, relates to everybody. You know, we're, we're in the crypto uh, in business and crypto, there's a lot of investors. And so it's a natural correlation for, for us, but the reggae is the way, is, is the way to me it's the future because anybody who's a founder who has struggled trying to raise capital with the traditional VCs, I think it, I'm all about competition. I'm a markets guy. I like competition in the marketplace. Banks don't lend to companies, not like, the, not like they're supposed to, not like the vision of what bank, the banking system was supposed to do. So there's like a fundamental disconnect in the banking industry when it comes to lending. And, and that, you know, it's not like you have an SBA loan and it works. It's, it's actually hard to get a bank loan for a business. So that leaves you with a lot of limited, uh, a lot of limited options. And one of which is basically, you know, they, they talk about the shark tank, but it's like wolves at the door. And I'll tell you that those wolves, now some of them are, are like, they love what you're doing. Some of them have been founders. Some of them have been successful and they know exactly what they're doing. They are, they have been successful and they're inspiring to me as a founder because they know their trade and they really know what they're doing. But there are also people, and no, I'm sorry, I, I say it like it is, I'm offensive people, but deal with it. There are people whose entire background in VC is literally like, I went to Harvard, I got an MBA, I know how to flip a company. It's not necessarily about aligned interests, it's about me making money on you, and, 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 and that's it. And then what you end up getting is these really crazy valuations from like this very small percentage of companies that get like this crazy money because everybody wants to get in that deal flow. So they it's market supply and then they end up getting these like crazy valuations. Meanwhile, the rest of the ecosystem with what could be some really potentially lucrative, big, successful companies, they become underfunded because VCs look at it with their five minutes of time that they have because they have a limited time. They say, no, I'm not interested. And then they move on. So that's why there's like a 1% or whatever the rate is for companies to be able to get access to VC funding. So we're like, okay, well, I had too many conversations. I don't even, I don't even try. If somebody comes to me and says, we're interested in investing in you, happy to talk to you. If you're interested in blockchain, I'm happy to talk to you. If you've been a successful founder, I'd love to talk to you. But if your whole thing is you want me to educate you on my business and you know, maybe you'll judge me and our company on whether or not you were, you're interested in our round and you want to negotiate, blah, 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 blah. Like I'm really, I've been down that path. I'd rather do the, the, the reg A I'd rather tell the world about all the cool stuff we're doing. And then all the people who doubted us didn't think that Daniel Goldman or Ian Kane or Carnio's company was going to make it. They're going to look back on that and they're going to say, boy, I really missed out on that one. What, um, so just real quick, how are people going to find out about the reggae when it comes? Is there a place they can go to and um, uh, submit their email address, but you're notify them, or do we just have to continue to follow you on Twitter and LinkedIn? Yeah, follow me on LinkedIn. I mean, we'll definitely be talking about it. I mean, I'm on LinkedIn all the time, as you know, and I share a lot of stuff, but we I've have- I've seen a few. What's that? I've seen a few of your things. A couple posts, yeah. yeah. So we have signed uh, a deal with one of the uh, platforms, but I want to hold my, my gunpowder, keep my gunpowder dry, and we'll be announcing that, you know, in time. Okay. So fair enough. You're going to rob me of another opportunity for me to let my <laughs> listeners be the first to know. Oh that's, man, that's brutal. That's yeah. brutal. <laughs> it's this whole, it's whole, it's it's the whole Atlanta Charlotte rivalry thing going on right now, isn't it? It's yeah. just, it's just personal. That's yeah, all it is. It is fair enough. Um, so you turned down a million bucks. I mean, I get it. I mean, I know yeah. why you did it, right? But if you hadn't have focused on profitability early on, could you have turned down a million dollars? No, and that's the thing is. We, you know, we were in, de and it, look, in the very beginning stages of building a business when you're, it's like you have an idea, 
that idea transformed to a product, just because you build a product doesn't mean you have a business. And then you start like, okay, well, I got a product and I got a few customers. And it's like, it's like whatever you do, it's never enough. It's never enough, right? It's like, oh, you're never really meeting that threshold. And, and it's, it's, I've never, all my businesses I've done before were like, they were bootstrapped. I never, I never had to like go and say, hey, would you be interested in investing in my company? So what we found was that a lot of people just didn't understand the technology, which was a gift and a curse because it might hurt us on the investment side, but it certainly helped us when it came to being in the marketplace and nobody understands the future of what's happening. That's the, the problem, the push-pull dynamic. Had we not been focusing on profitability and cutting costs down as much as we possibly could, we basically would have been at the mercy of the, that deal. We would have taken the deal because we would have had no other option. It would be the only way to keep the lights on. And you know, you would have said, thank you, you may have another. That was, that's what would have happened. But we had leverage. Our own leverage, was, and that's what it, to me it's all about. It's leverage. If you don't have it, then you take what you can get. And, and we wrote, we decided this is what we're going to do. It was hard to turn down the money, but we ultimately did. And honestly, we ended up raising more money at double the valuation with none of the shitty terms. So it ended up being the, the right decision by far. And, and I, I honestly believe that with this reggae, it's going to be the thing that catapults us right before we, you know, we're not going to go public tomorrow, but I would like to see, it's going to be one of two things, either A, we're going to, someone's going to come up to us with a big bag of money and they're going to say, Hey, we really need to buy you guys because you're annoying us. Or we, you know, we see that where you're going and we need to, we need to get you out of the marketplace one way or the other. We want to encapsulate you, put you under our, under our brand or B um, we're going to go public. That's my thought. And it's one of those two things that'll happen. And uh, frankly, you don't build it as a founder. Like I can't imagine. I know some people, they go, you know, they, they start a company in order to flip it. I don't know what that's like. I don't have that mentality. I like control, as does Ian. Um, we created the company. We didn't, we didn't pay ourselves for two years, not with this grandiose vision of flipping the company. The grandiose vision was, we're going to build a multi-billion dollar company that is going to change the way that people interact with money. And, and I think that's what we're going to do. Just the, one of the things I liked about you when we did our pre-interview was I asked you whether or not you were going to take this public and you said you wanted to, um, right? I mean, that's, you know, you hear a lot of founders that are perfectly happy with the $100 million exit um, and then they can go off and do something else or do nothing, whatever it ends up being. You don't want to, you don't want to do that. I mean, you want to, I mean, essentially continue to transform the business model for um, another decade, I would assume. Well, yeah, what am I going to do? Sit on a beach? I mean, that's not my style. I'm the guy, as I'm sure you can relate. I mean, I'm the guy that will be 75 years old and I will find some work to do. I mean, I'm a worker. That's what I do. Yeah. So um, how long does it take you to get there? 10 years, 20 years? For Pollock? Yeah. Oh, you you just, you just. Um, I think the question mark is going to be, if we're going to do 20 million next year, if we well, we just for the record, we projected five million this year, and you did seven, and we're doing seven. Okay. Okay. So it's not like we've got these like, oh we oh we really fell short. Like maybe we will fall short next year, but we 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 said five, we did seven next year. I think we do 20. Okay. Um, what could so you do next? What could you do next year, Daniel? Right. I mean. Um, just grandiose me for a second. What could you do? Revenue wise? Yeah. That's a good question. Um, if everything came to be, it is not an, I mean, uh, I mean, I like conservative projections. I don't like not conservative. Well, yeah. I mean, everybody's got a conservative. Would be, 30 would be an crazy, a crazy year. Okay. Right. 20 is something I'm comfortable saying. That's the number I want to hit. That's the number that we're, we, we can hit. 30 would be like, I don't drink champagne really, but like, I'm going to send you a bottle of champagne. I'm going to send myself a bottle of champagne. <laughs> Everybody has a bottle of champagne. Can you hit 103? Next year? No. No, 103 years. Oh, 100. Yes, because think about this. It's, it's tripling what we're doing it on an organic basis. I'm not building out the idea around we'll do 20 if we raise 10 or to raise, you know, it's not like that, right? Raise 12, whatever. Um, it's built upon, this is what we're doing. And then you factor in, okay, we got more capital in the bank. 
we've done this, 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 and this. We already, we are Visa Fast Track partner, all of that, plus things I can't share. And you say, okay, can that killing be, me. what's that? I said, you're killing me, but that's all right. We'll wait, we'll wait. Can that be a hundred million dollars in revenue? I, I think it's definitely possible. It would take a lot of hustle, a lot of focus, but it could definitely be done. I would say more like, well, that would be five times X. I, and we're talking about 2022, right? Three years in 2023, I guess. Would I, be- I would say 2023 would feel more comfortable because yeah, at that yeah. point, I'd say it's, 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 that is the trajectory we're on. 20, yeah. get to maybe 50, 20 the to 50 year. and then 100. I think that's doable because you're going like 450% to 300% to, you know, you're, you're still, you're getting bigger multiples, bigger numbers, but they're smaller percentages. Yeah. But still crazy volume. I mean, I'm very confident about, because by that time, what you're talking about is a really global platform. I and mean, what we're talking about is, what are we solving? There's several modes we're solving for. Everything from regulatory compliance to, to just card issuance, time speed to market, geography. Plaid built a network that anybody could try to replicate, but it would cost them a lot of money and time to replicate the Plaid experience. Because at some point they build this network connecting via all these APIs. Well, we've, we're gonna be able to build a network that is gonna be so hard to replicate that you could in a couple of years, and if you're PayPal, go for it and they will, right? they will. Facebook is trying to do that in their own different way, but I don't think most companies are gonna be able to do that. So they're gonna need somebody to partner with to say, well, we'd like to tap into this global platform capability that's in this new century of this new, you know, 21st century technology of blockchain, we would like to tap into that and we'll say, great, well, we can provide all these different countries, all these different services, do this, this, and this for you. And we're going to be able to be competitive in market and yeah, let's sign a contract. And I think that's going to be the thing that catapults us into that hundred months. You're talking about customers. We're already getting customers who are not crypto centric today. We're already taking business from non crypto for non-crypto businesses as in our platform, that is only going to become more and more a part of our business model. So you're, I mean, I don't want to say you're a classic founder, right? Um, you're smart. Um, you have confidence, uh, not overconfidence. Um, you know how to run a business. So I'm going to pose a question to you. That's just not going to make any sense. And I'm just gonna have to ask you to bear with me for a second. What takes the business to zero in three years? If everybody would, uh, I'd say if the government were to somehow ban cryptocurrency and make it illegal for fintechs and banks to operate in the space, that would be very damaging because it would still happen at the consumer level. It's not going to, it would be the equivalent of the prohibition. So when they, when they made alcohol illegal, it wasn't illegal to drink it. It was illegal to sell it. So people could drink alcohol all the time and they did. And so Bitcoin, if you try to make it illegal, all that would happen is it would still happen. There's nothing you would do about it. All the innovation would move across shore somewhere else. They would be taking us customers and everyone around the world. And we would basically be a joke in the world of technology. Now, could that circumstance happen? It could, you know, if we were really stupid, and we've been known to do some stupid things in this country, but I do think there's enough smart people who understand the impact. And, I, and I'm very thankful, particularly, it's like the right man at the right time, the right person at the right time. Brian Brooks at the OCC is going to be the guy that is going to get a regulatory, and, and until there's some kind of like laws passed, which is very hard to do right now, because we have a very polarized society. Yeah. The good news is blockchain is not a, political issue. It's not like you're like, oh, I'm pro-blockchain. You're like, oh, you liberal, you know, or whatever, right? Blockchain liberal, it doesn't exist, right? It's very agnostic, right? Um, but Brian Brooks is the guy. He is the guy that's got real vision and understanding of what this means. And he's opening up the doors for fintechs and banks. But what would get me to zero is that. Or I'd say if we just flat out really mismanaged our money, because if we did that, then shame on us. And that happened recently to a, a company that raised a ton of money and then they went bankrupt, surprising everybody. Yeah. 
what um so I mean 60 million dollars uh that's a it's a nice pre-money valuation right um, yeah I mean I think it's but I think it's fair I think it's fair because I think you know we, we did our last one at a 15 million and I think that given the trajectory we are on and the fact that we've hit our milestones and exceeded them and the fact that everything we're doing I, I think a 60 million dollar valuation is, is fair um and it's what's your total what's your total total addressable market in your pitch book right what's your what's your tam we've got three different buckets one is basically 350 or it fluctuates every day because of cryptocurrency let's call it 400 billion now so one is cryptocurrency right the second is the trillion dollars which is sort of your money lending space we're all going to compete with money western union to send funds to sony in the caribbean i'm going to kick western union's ass out of the bahamas and out of jamaica and off of every freaking caribbean island so they don't even exist anymore that's what i'm going to do Okay. Me or somebody else like me, our technology is going to make Western Union a redundancy, or they're going to have to completely flip their mind. So that money transfer business is about to be really exposed in a bad way. And the third bank, uh, third budget uh, um, basket is really just banking, which is how, how big is the banking industry? And it's, it's, we're really talking about commerce. We're talking about all commerce. So I know that's not what people want to hear when they talk about total addressable market, because when you're dealing that big, you want to focus on a much more nuanced. But our nuance today is 400 billion. That second bucket we're eyeing is a trillion. And the third bucket we're eyeing is really just being playing in that banking space. Um, does that keep you up at night, that big of a marketplace? Or, or do you do you do you do the smart thing? You take it in bite-sized chunks, right? You know that you have to hit one before you go to two, and two before you go to three. That's that's what we're not we're not taking an ad out in the New York Times of a full-page ad going like Jamie Diamond, we're coming for you. Yeah. Like, it's not you know like we're focused today. Here's what we're doing. It's like I'm talking about like here's the vision. Here's where we can go. But here's what we're doing today. What we're doing today, after I put my shoes on and my belt on, is we're focused on how we can provide interoperability with banking, bank accounts and debit cards for cryptocurrency. That's what we're doing today. It's a platform that other fintechs can leverage in order to use our technology to solve real world problems for making cryptocurrencies work in real life. But what will happen as we have more scale, broader network, larger, more leverage and a larger network, because keep in mind, some of our fintech partners, like for example, Paxful, we're white labeling with Paxful, and they're white labeling our technology. They have 5 million users. 5 million using it's Paxful by Blockcard, by our brand. You got Litecoin. Litecoin is one of the largest, it's like number four or five or six cryptocurrency in the world. The Litecoin Foundation is white labeling the Litecoin card. It's, we convert it into cash, of course, but spending Litecoin at the point of sale, we convert it to cash instantly. And they have a market cap of like almost $6 billion in Litecoin in the marketplace. And everybody who loves Litecoin is fond of, of Litecoin will have the ability to get a Litecoin card. So like that's our main, 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 main focus. But we're not stupid enough to think that if all we're ever going to be is this crypto company, that's not what we are. So you're not the only game in town. I mean, how do you get Litecoin to say, uh, Turnio, we want you. There's a lot of moats. There's several moats. And so that's the key. Because if, if anybody could just do what we do, then it would be, you know, like we would, we'd have a lot, a lot more competition. Yeah, of course. Very few. It's almost like um, most of the well-funded ones, they don't do white labeling. They don't want to give you access to the marketplace. They want to build their own brand only. So it's a, it's, it's a, a, a step into the marketplace for us to say, hey, we're going we're gonna to fuel everybody. We want to do that. And I think that's an important thing strategically for us in the marketplace. Number two, um, regulations and compliance is a big thing. It's, it's something that you have to deal with. It's even harder in Europe. The regulations in Europe are, are challenging. Um, there's a lot of ambiguity right now. It's a little bit of a fog of war moment and that we're taking full advantage of that fog of war moment. But the, the fintechs that don't want to screw around with the compliance regulatory stuff, we do all of that for them. That's nice. This, another thing is flow of funds. Having a completely regulated flow of funds is not an easy thing to do because there's still question marks around a lot of things with you know, going out of crypto and into dollars. And how do you do that? And how do you do it efficiently, financially? And all these things, we do that for them in a beautiful, seamless process. You got to understand blockchain technology. So maybe you're a Litecoin and you understand blockchain technology, but 
all of a sudden stuff you don't understand, or maybe you understand different parts of the traditional legacy systems, but you don't have any concept of what how blockchain works, or you might understand it in theory, but real world applicability of building systems, you don't. It took us millions of dollars and years to build this. So if somebody wanted to do what we do, they could, but they're already years behind. And then you layer in how much work you have to you have to put into building new banking relationships and card issuing. It's not easy. Anybody could run, I mean, not anybody, you could pretty much run a traditional FinTech program, card program pretty easily, right? You could go to Sutton Bank or, you know, you got some funds and you go to Visa or whoever and you run a, a card program. It's not, you know, it's not rocket science, but, and there's still technology there, but try to find banks that are going to be crypto friendly. It's not easy. It's a much smaller basket. And what we do is we tap into, in the United States, we've got five different banks and trusts we, con we connect different services to. We've got one in Europe and, and more to come. And I think that when you put all that together with the geography, with the services, with the modes, you put all that together and you say, okay, well, I could try to build it and, I, and we'll have something live in a couple of years. Or I could just work with Turnio because they're great and they got great technology and you know they're trusted in the ecosystem and we could just get live pretty quickly. I think more and more are saying, you guys are killing it. We'd love to work with you. Um, how'd you meet Ian? We don't have that much time left. So that's why I'm kind of cutting to the chase a little bit. So we're going to talk a little bit more about just the business. So I knew his wife <coughs> when they were engaged and I was her client and she was like, you need to meet my fiance because he's a lot like you. He's very ambitious. He's very headstrong, stubborn like me. And he's a hard worker. The guy does not know when to stop when it comes to work. Very hard worker, smart. Um, and so we met through his now wife and um, it's, you know, it's, he's a very, very hard working co-founder and the two of us, I think, while we do have disagreements from time to time, and when we do, it's very powerful. For I was going to say, time, two headstrong people having disagreements, that's got to be fireworks, right? It can be fireworks. <laughs> but I argue with him less than I argue with my wife. And at the end of the day, we've created mechanisms to ensure that we can have a, uh, like a third party tiebreaker when we don't agree. It's like an unstoppable force, you know, hitting a, a what is it? A, what is that expression? The, ah. It doesn't matter, but we're both, we're both very hardworking and we're both very similar in many ways. And we met, we met, and, and it was really focused on digital advertising is where we knew each other. Okay. And he worked with me at ad three media, one of my companies. And then we started Turnio together. Gotcha. Um, who's your first hire? Our first hire was Don Trell, our, C, our, our chief investment, our, excuse me, our chief um, info security officer. He worked at the NSA for 10 years as a hacker. And he graduated MIT as a um, with a master's degree in info security. So he in security is a really big deal in crypto, and he was our first guy. So, because y'all have security issues on the platform, right? Y'all got to securitize, yes or no? Well, um, when you say security issues, we have not had security issues. <laughs> for the record, you, yes. Sorry, that's a, a poor way of phrasing it. Y'all have to prevent security issues from popping okay. up because you, yes. you, unlike PayPal, who's using outsourced people for holding the assets, y'all are maintaining the assets internally. Well, yes and no. It depends upon, we, use, we can use custodial services or depending upon, we might custody, custody things. But, but Don Trell's background as a hacker has been very important because he can attack our systems and make sure we have multiple security software that we use for monitoring and, and he's all over it. I mean, kudos to Don Trell. He's got a lot of knowledge on blockchain and tokens specifically. So Dontrell was our first guy. And our second guy was our CTO, Corey. He's out of Charlotte. Corey is whip. I mean, like smart as a whip, just had his baby boy. And uh, Corey is just a hard worker, great attitude, super smart, been in blockchain for a long time. I love working with him. We're so blessed to have those two guys. We have a great team. We have adopted the idea around hiring a bunch of really talented developers who are really good at their skill set as opposed to hiring a bunch of cheap, no disrespect, but cheap, or I should say inexpensive, inexpensive developers out of India where, you know, we can pay $1,200 a month and we're getting like four or five junior developers. We're not doing that. That's not our, we don't do that. We are hiring people in-house who are going to build cool stuff and who are good at their trade. Okay. Um, so you never, you never did the offshore thing. You always kept it onshore. Right. We keep it on. We, we, we actually had an experience 
uh, outsourcing because we had so much going on, letting somebody try to do something on an app because it was kind of segregated, like try to build this app. And it was exactly what I told Ian. I told him it was not going to work. And we had a very bad experience and we brought somebody in house. We, we do almost everything is in house. The only things we don't do in house is when we use like Splunk or CrowdStrike or some of these other security type services. But we don't outsource our tech to somebody else. We do, we build it. So that way, if something's wrong with a node or like a blockchain node, uh, we, we can solve the problem. We're not relying on somebody else. Now that's not true when it comes to a payment processor or a bank. If there's something wrong with the payment processor, we're screwed, right? We got to work with the payment processor. If there's something wrong with the bank, we, we've got to deal with it. But when it comes to like the crypto blockchain technology, it's all in-house and, and, and I'm proud of it. Yeah. One more quick question. We'll kind of wrap up with this and it's an oddball question. So I apologize for it. Always think about this, right? I mean, I grew up in Eastern North Carolina, a um, little town called Newburn, North Carolina. Um, and whenever I think about, you know, these fintech companies that are disrupting, essentially disrupting the world, right? And it's kind of your, um, as we talked about the three steps for you to get to this kind of your process you want to end up getting to is disrupting the world, the payments world, right. um, which happens to be the world because everything is paid for. Um, I always think back to my friends in Eastern North Carolina, right? How does this impact them? Yeah. Um, well, it's a great question. I think what will happen is we're talking about the fundamental way that people interact with money. And it's going to be very exciting to be part of because we're entering an age of self-custody. If you wanted to manage, if you wanted to have the, the banking system is a closed loop network right? And you want to have, most of the money is digital anyway, but if, in order to pull funds from the bank, in order to control your own funds, there's only one way to do it. It's that you say, I would like cash. And if you wanted to have enough cash, then you've got to basically put it in a mattress or you can do the Pablo Escobar, dig a hole and put a bunch of money in there. <laughs> no, I don't recommend that. Um, but basically the only way to maintain your own money is through cash. And that has its own problems. You get robbed or whatever. And I think the cool thing is whether I've got a billion dollars, whether it be whatever, I'm going to have the ability to hold my own money. And, and so you say somebody in East North Carolina, they're just going to have, they're going to use an app or they won't, and they're going to be able to keep their money or they, they're going to have something else keep it formed, depending upon what their comfort level is and their knowledge level. They're going to see that they've got a thousand dollars and it's just going to work. And, and we're going to take things for granted, just like we take email for granted. It's crazy. Like I can type in an email address and you're going to get it like that. That was very transformational in terms of how we how we communicated in, in information. And now that seems old and antiquated because now we're just like messaging people, right? It's like message, message, message. So when people are interacting with money, they're going to see I've got $1,000 and they're going to send money to a friend and they're actually going to get the money. And then they're going to, they're going to be able to control their own money and make decisions about, you know, so then governments are going to have to decide, well, how the hell do we deal with this monster? Because it, it's out the cage and it's scaring them. But I will say because of things like terrorism and money laundering and all these things, we did we do tend to sometimes over overcorrect. And I, I do think there's something to be said about being smart about regulations to where we're managing thoughtfully visibility into transactions, to be maintaining the BSA and things like that, that that have been passed under law. But giving people more control and privacy, privacy is a right I think we all need. And I think that, that that's something that we should think about as a, as a society because we pick, our, we pick the people who represent us. They're elected by us. And I do think there's something to be said about saying that I, don't, I shouldn't have to go through the hoops we've put in place for the banking system, which has caused them billions of dollars in fines because they haven't met some criteria. So I, I, I think that people like your friends and family in, in Eastern North Carolina are going to be able to have without even thinking that they're dealing with cryptocurrency, they're going to have something that just works. That's actually on a new crypto rail, sending money, paying for things in money and having more control and more privacy in a way that they quasi privacy, quasi privacy in a way that they, they haven't had before. Well, um, it's cool. I'm excited to see it. I mean, y'all are, y'all are doing some fun things. I followed you for, 
I don't know, 18 to 24 months now. So we were supposed to get together in January this year, and obviously that didn't happen. So um, really fun to have you on the podcast today. Let the listeners see your enthusiasm um, for what you're doing and learn more about the opportunity to you know participate in the reggae, I would assume, at some point in time in the first quarter of next year. Yeah, we're hoping Q1. That's what we're working on right now. Okay, awesome. Well, uh, Daniel, thanks so much, man. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for joining the show. Thanks for sharing your story, your passion, um, knowledge with us. Really enjoyed it today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Wealth Advisors. The topics discussed and the opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Portis Wealth Advisors does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance. Investments described herein may be speculative and may involve a substantial risk of loss. Interest may be offered only to persons who qualified as accredited investors under applicable state and federal regulation or an eligible employee of the management company. There generally is no public market for the interest. Prospective investors should particularly note that many factors affect performance, including changes in the market conditions and interest rates, and other economic, political, or financial developments. Past performance is not, and should not be construed as indicative of future results.